Good morning, New Hope. It is good to see you. I think summer's begun at long last. I think when you went to leave town yesterday, as my wife and I went to the Matakana markets, took a, a date, which was most of the day, but we had a marvellous time. Father, I thank you so much for your word, which is truly an inspiration to us. Speak to us today deeply, each one of us. Father, you know the thoughts of everybody, even right now. You know the backgrounds, and you know the plans that you have for your people. I pray by your spirit, you would speak and change our hearts to be more like yours. And everybody said, Amen. Today, folks, we're in part three of Standing Strong. Very important. Not being Mary Teetowls, Sister Snowflake, but men and women who can stand strong in an increasingly secular society. And the title is Standing Strong, Thriving No Matter What is thrown at you. And we've been looking at, and I've just started to look at the nine lessons from the life of Daniel, especially when your beliefs are berated and belittled. So starting at the age of five, or in some countries as young as four, you will spend a long time getting an education. A long time. And it's a good thing. Young people and middle-aged people and older folks, you need to develop your mind. I want you to know that Alan Greenspan started his doctorate, ex-chairman of the Federal Reserve, at 76 years old. You are never too old to learn. So a critical part of your education is your Christian Education. You have secular education, facts and figures, but that all came, by the way, in the mind of God anyway. That's a whole other subject. But a, an incredibly important part of your education and your grandchildren's education and your teenager's education is your Christian education. The Bible says that love the Lord your God with what? All of your heart, soul, and what's the third component? Your what? How are you loving God with your mind? Because God said, this is part of the great commandment, not a minor one, the great. Question, how are you developing and loving God with your mind? Or have you forgotten that? You think, well, I come and I worship with my heart. That's good. What about your passion, your soul? Where's that? Was that left? If we're into a rugby game, I know. My goodness, it is noisy. People sometimes think that it is not cool to love God with their emotions. Wrong. Do you love your wife with your emotions? I hope so. Otherwise that relationship becomes boring and old and stilted and awkward. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Put your back into it. That's a whole part of you. How do you do this? How do you love God with all your mind? Well, one of the ways you can do that is by developing your mind. By using it and not wasting it. By learning all you can about God. 
Now, A.W. Tozer made a very pertinent point. What comes into our minds, into your minds, when we think about God is probably the most important thing about you. Now, starting early, it's important, parents, to have faith conversations. Listen carefully, dear friends. It is very important to have faith conversations with your kids, specifically to prepare them for the challenges they will face in an increasingly secular and hostile world. Let me give you a sense of the problem. Number one, I spend a lot of the week reading for you. Let me summarize some of the studies I read this week. Around about 61% of all teenagers who are in church, 61% of kids who were involved in church as teenagers, become spiritually disengaged. Spiritually disengaged by their 20s. And they're not actively praying, reading their Bible, or attending churches. I read some of those studies that put that number as high as 88%. Question, do you want your grandkids and your kids to be one of those statistics? Do you? Question, does anybody have an answer here? Mate, that is atrocious. That would rip my heart. I would give everything I owned. And more besides. To smash that one. I hate that. Why is this happening? This has sent LifeWave publishers and pastors everywhere all around the world. And youth pastors. Scurrying. What on God's green earth is going on here? And this is not just one study, and this is not two. This is more than two dozen studies. Recent studies have shown this. Young parents, listen carefully. Grandparents, get a grip on this. This is what is reality, not la-la land. No false hopes here. These are the facts. Why is this happening? After reviewing multiple studies, I'm going to give you the guts of it. It is a lack of robust Spiritual training has resulted in snowflake-like faith for today, many of young, um, today's young adults. And that faith is being blown away by attacks on culture. Young people are not, let me say that in a sentence, young people are not leaving your home with sufficient artillery and tools And they're not equipped to answer the questions their workmates and their colleagues are firing at them constantly. For example, let me give you a few more quick facts on this before we look at how to tackle this problem. Less, this is irritating, less than one in ten Christian families read the Bible together. Being that the case, what do we expect? I'm amazed it's 80 odd percent. A study of 11,000. Now, that is a significant study. This is not some tin pot thing done in the corner. 11,000 teenagers. Only 12% of them have regular conversations about faith with their parents. Only 12. Here's another one. Three out of four kids, 75%. Growing up in Christian homes aren't receiving anything remotely like the spiritual training they need to have a lasting faith. That, to me, 
is a scandalous neglect of our, my, and your responsibilities. Because ultimately, parents, we are the primary dispensers of spiritual education, not the church. The church only gets your kids between 1% and 2% of the available time. You have them most of the rest of the time. I have them, my kids. So, question. Are you prepared and are you preparing to raise your kids with confident faith in a secular world? Do you have a strategy for that? Now, the Bible encourages all. Proverbs 19.8. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can. Then remember what you're learning will succeed and be successful, prosper and be successful. The Bible also says you need to. Now, this is important. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it. If I'm, think about a security guard. I'm in charge of making sure this doesn't, nobody nicks us off me. And I'm going to defend it with all I have. Hold on to instruction. Do not let it go. Guard it well for it is your life. Don't take this casually is the thrust of this verse. Hold tightly requires serious effort. I remember we used to have these competitions. Us guys, we used to hang onto these ropes and it was the last one hanging. And let me tell you, I would drop smashing to my knees on the floor. I was holding onto my knuckles were completely white and numb. This is the grip of this. Hold on tightly requires serious effort to take hold of the truthfulness of our faith. The truthfulness of our faith. Can you communicate to your children, to your grandchildren, why our faith is true? And thereby, all that is opposed to that is false. Can you do that? Do you have a strong grip on the truthfulness of Christianity? Or is it kind of like a blind leap into the darkness? See, Paul, he saw, he knew, he could defend it because it's based on historical fact. It's based on an event. See, a weak grip is easily dislodged. Can you guard or defend it? Have you a stronghold on the reasons for your belief that you can communicate clearly? Let me ask you another way. Are you persuaded of your, of Christianity's certain hope. Now, parents and relatives, here's another question to answer this, or to, to look at this. Are you helping your children and teenagers and your grandchildren know why they believe what they profess to believe? Not this, well, you should believe this. Young people need to know Why? Are you standing shoulder to shoulder with them, helping them reinforce the evidence? Do you know the evidence? And guard it from attack. Okay, enough. Would you like to learn how? If you would, please pull out your calendar and mark Friday night, March 24th. Saturday from 9 till 3, a complete workshop. This is not going to be talking heads. Sunday morning, be there. Bring friends, bring people. Monday night will be for parents and families. That's a separate track. 
Tuesdays is pastor's only day for all the pastors in this area and behind. And by the way, this will be promoted at the Ravi Zacharias seminar that we're going to have. And also Wednesday night will be a youth-only track. So it'll be Friday night, March 24th, all the way through Wednesday. I highly recommend for our church, Friday, Saturday, of course, Sunday, and then choose the track you want, um, parents or, and family or youth. I've got my friends, Dr. Richard Tompkins, ex-senior manager of Caterpillar in the USA, discipleship pastor, faculty member from Columbia University and Southern Evangelical Seminary will be here. Along with my other friend, Dr. Ray Severio, He's professor at Winston-Salem College and Ray's heart is to help people strengthen their faith and become more, more confident in explaining it. Understanding not only what they believe but why they believe it so that they can make, become a better witness of the risen Jesus. Wow. This is related to Daniel's test that we're going to talk about today. So far in Daniel's life we have looked at the test of major change. Remember being uprooted as a young 15-year-old, hauling down a, an 800-kilometer walk, being dislodged from his family, never to see them again. The, ch- the test of major change. Then last week we looked at the test of social pressure. Today I'm going to look at Daniel's third test, and this is a real big one related to what I spoke about. The test of challenges to your faith. Challenges to your faith. Again, 15-year-old Daniel, his friends were deported to Babylon's secular culture. He was given a new identity, even a new name, given a new religion. Can't even eat the food you used to eat. And everything had changed in his life. Basically, Nebuchadnezzar, which was the king at that time, says, we're going to make you like one of us, a Babylonian. And you're going to forget about that God that you read about and heard about. And you're going to forget about the Bible. I'm going to slam you in three years of heavy indoctrination for some of these POWs. Now what makes the story of Daniel incredibly remarkable is that they didn't simply continue their private devotion God that they developed in their homeland. They maintained a highly profile public witness in a pluralistic society which was totally antagonistic to their faith. Let's pick it up from Daniel 1. King Nebuchadnezzar commanded, select young men, make sure they are well versed in every branch of learning. Some of those weren't particularly godly. Teach these young men all the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So they were trained for three years. Then some will serve the king after they graduate. That was a three-year indoctrination program for Daniel and his three best friends who got basically a scholarship from the University of Babylon. They got full room, full board, education fees paid for. It sounds pretty good on the surface and you'd be pretty excited normally except some of the courses were totally anti-God. It was a pagan mm, educational system. Do you know that they had to learn about astrology astrology magic apart from the sciences and the maths and all the other stuff but God prepared these guys even though they're immersed in a secular education system Daniel 1 17 
God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for learning and the literature and the science of the time. Now the past two previous tests. So now God trusts them with a bigger test. And here's a question. Can you study in a highly secular environment and not lose your faith? The problem with the Babylonian school system is it was based on all sorts of myths and superstitions and, yes, occultic practices. False science and badge logic and polytheism and fallacies and false religions. It was steeped in them. And yet here we have Daniel and his three friends. Now, it wasn't all bad. The division of hours into minutes on your watch and 60 seconds comes from the Babylonians who used a sexagesimal accounting to 60 system for mathematics and astronomy. So again, the circular face on your watch today is a hangover from directly from the Babylonians. Picking it up, Daniel 1.18. When the three years of training was completed... The chief official brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with each of them. That's an individual interview. And none impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's pretty impressive. How old are they now? 18. 15 plus 3 is 18. Here they are graduating magna cum laude. How do you do that? Amazing, eh? So they were appointed to his regular staff as advisors, like advisor to the president, in all matters requiring wisdom and balanced judgment. The king found the advice of these young men ten times better than that of all the magicians and the enchanters in his entire kingdom. Wow. So somehow these guys have gone through this ridiculously secular education system and come out on top. That thrived. How do you do that? How do you learn what the world wanted to teach you without losing your faith? That's really an important question, friends. And by the way, sidebar there, your education is only as good as the truth content that you are taught. Now in New Zealand, your years of education, there will be people who will belittle your beliefs. They will contradict your convictions. They will attack your beliefs. They'll ridicule your faith. And they will definitely, listen to this, be prepared, they will laugh at your moral stands. Be that on the taking of an unborn or your view of marriage, they will laugh at you in your face and some will try to get you to denounce or doubt what the Bible says now the opposition to Christian worldview has become so common in universities they've actually made several movies about it, and some of you may have seen some of those one of them would be God's not dead one God's not dead two if you haven't seen those I commend those to you now, by the way, I just want to give you a bit of a, uh, an FYI, because if you listen to the press these days, you'd be completely misled. Go check it out. Believe it or not, Encyclopedia Britannica is still relatively reasonable. It's reasonably objective. And they say, I checked it again yesterday, just to be sure, nothing had changed under me. And they say that only 
2.3% of the world are atheist. Encyclopedia Britannica. So don't let this, the, the press hammer you into, well, you're the minority. Absolute falsehood. Here's my question to you. But since, first of all, secular schools and universities are the primary bastion of unbelief, just like in Daniel's Babylon, I want to share today on how to excel in your education and not lose your faith. You're going to learn a lot of good stuff in public schools and secular schools, but you will learn some stuff which is flat out wrong. And many schools and university days today are wrong. Here's the thing. Not about insignificant things. About the most important things in the world they're wrong about. Like your creation, your identity, your sexuality, your meaning and purpose in life and what made us most. They're flat wrong about those things. One of the reasons for this problem is because they have an underlying assumption held by a lot of schools. And it's this idea. And you'll hear it a lot. They think that all truth is relative. What's true for you is not true for me. No, 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 no. They got that completely wrong. Opinions are relative, but truth is truth. Truth was true a thousand years ago, is, is today, and it will be in a thousand years' time. And if it's true, it's always true. But this idea that truth is relative and some professors in particular universities will go as far, and you may hear them say this, well, there's actually no such thing as truth. Now, when they say that, what should you say? Is that absolutely true? See, they're self-contradicting. They're making an absolute statement. There is no such thing. That's as, as absolute truth. They're actually absolutely stating there is no such thing as absolute truth. It's a self-refuting argument. It's foolishness. And foolishness is still foolishness, even if it comes from educated people. But sometimes they don't see those things. And you should also ask them, oh, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? You should ask them that. So today, in secular education and other fields, you'll find the idea, it's okay for you to think you know what's right, but it's not okay for you to think that somebody else is wrong. That's a thing called political correctness. So like Daniel, how do you excel in your education where relativism is a default position of humanism and not lose your faith? Let me give you six ways you can do this. And you can share these with your kids and your grandkids. Number one is for you to survive and thrive in your, in your education system and not lose your faith, you firstly need to decide in advance to stand for God. To stand for God. Now the time to choose your loyalty is before the test happens. Jesus clearly said this. And some Christians have forgotten this and they're surprised and they get knocked off the bandwagon. Jesus said clearly, in this world, you will have tribulation. Some versions say trouble. Some say persecution. Therefore, it is no surprise. Don't be surprised when these things happen. And Paul, so Jesus said that. Paul also told Timothy, he said on the screen here, everyone who wants to live a godly life. Does anybody want to live a godly life? Can I see your hands quickly? 
Okay, so if you do, look what's coming. You will suffer persecution. Don't be surprised. Don't be, oh, this is not supposed to happen. If they did it for Jesus, they'll do it to you. That's a tenor of scripture. The real tenor. Now, parents, you need to prepare your children and teenagers and your grandkids for this, for the persecution that they, yes, your children, my children will face. And it's not a matter of if your children will encounter arguments against God and Christianity, but it's a matter of when. And the question I have to you today, in all honesty, is are you helping your children grapple with these questions before they go to the battle? Like in school, your kids are going to have tests, and you know when it's tables, you drill them, right? Seven nines, twelve fours, three tens, nine sevens, six fours. My kids used to be able to do 100 tables in less than one minute, written down, completely random. I prepared them for what I knew and what I wanted them to be able to mm, defend and give answers for. Do you even know what those questions are? Because if you don't know what the questions are, how can you prepare for those? School, you have tests, geography, sociology, science, and English. But the most important test you'll ever take during your education is the test of your faith. You fail that, there's a big, there are eternal implications. Tables, we can have another go. You blow a paper at university, you can have another go. You lose your faith, you get a serious problem. So we all need to prepare in advance to stand for God. And Daniel and his friends excelled because they were prepared. Daniel 1.8. Daniel made up his mind, that means in advance, before this happened, he made up his mind proactively not to defile himself. How do you become a great student? By making a commitment to protect your mind and your body and your heart before you start. Proverbs 1, seven. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. When Mortimer Adler, who is a great philosopher and educator, and popular author was asked, why, Mortimer, is the God section in the, in, in the great books of the Western World series, which he edited, he said, insightfully observed this, because it's because more implications flow from the subject of God than from any other subject. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.21, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Then he says, avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from their faith. So Paul considered he's using banking language, economic language. He's saying, considering all that had been deposited in Timothy to be a priceless deposit, the crown jewels, the pearl of great price that needed to be preserved or guarded and effectively shared by carefully investing it in the life of the others. Now one day, you and I are going to stand before God and we're going to take a final exam. And I promise you this, he will not ask you, how did you do in that geography exam? That's going to be relatively, completely unimportant. On the other hand, Proverbs 15.33 says, Reverence for the Lord is an education in itself. And again, Proverbs 9.10, I haven't written there, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Why? Well, because he invented everything else. Jesus was a creator and is a sustainer of the entire universe. He invented math and science and art. The only reason why we can do science is because things act in predictable manners. They're not random. We can repeat things. That's because there's laws. And if there's a law, there's a lawgiver. And his story is history. Proverbs 2, 6 and 7. All wisdom comes from the Lord. We think we're getting really clever with quantum stuff now. Quantum entanglement, quantum computing. I love that stuff. But all we're doing, I'm sure God is saying, oh, you're getting a little closer now, guys, to how I do this. <laughs> it's great. All wisdom comes from the Lord. So does common sense and understanding. He gives helpful advice to everyone who obeys him and protects all those who live as they should. Second, if you want to go through university and thrive and prosper and not lose your faith, never stop learning. All leaders are learners. Adults, I want to ask you a question. What have you decided you're going to learn this year about the God that you love? What have you decided in advance to learn? Maybe you've got some specific question that's been bugging you for a while, and you said, right, I need to dive into that and sort this one. Or maybe there's a book you're going to study. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 15, wise men and wise women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. By the way, notice the, notice the connection there between learning and listening. You're not learning when you're talking. I'm not learning a thing now because I'm talking. I learned a lot this week. Learn the skill of listening and life will be a whole lot easier. 2 Timothy 2.15 Again, the Bible encourages us, Father, love the Lord your God. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Not unto your teacher, not to your lecturer, but unto God. What are you learning in God? Study to you show yourself approved as a workman. That isn't a shame. You know, have you ever had a tradie come in and it's a really slapstick job? And you think, great fight, you know. Very little care on that, right? He says, study in such a way that you do it really well. Really well. That you wouldn't be ashamed. That you have, ah, oh, slap bash and she'll be right. Oh, yeah, what should I read today? Oh, yeah. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. That's not the essence of this verse. The Bible says that God wants you to be a lifelong student, or the word disciple is the word student of Jesus Christ. Maybe the Lord's Spirit will prompt you there. Have you let go of that grip? Has your grip on that gotten loose? Some adults haven't proactively and intentionally learned much since graduation. And it shows. More importantly, their growth in the knowledge of the Lord and his word has stagnated and stalled. It's just... They became Christians, they learned for a while, and then they went off the boil, as my mother would say. The writer of Hebrews gets to this in Hebrews 5.12. In fact, by this time, there's an expectation, by this time, you ought to be teachers. In other words, you might... You should have had a good grip on this subject. 
and your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of the Word of God all over again. You need milk, not solid food. See, if you know these things, the question is, are you teaching them? Are you teaching them to other people? Or have you become like a lake? It just absorbs all into you, and it's going stagnant. Knowledge is to do with information that you gain from an education or experience. Wisdom is seeing and responding from God's point of view. God is the source. Now, some people have a lot of knowledge, but they're pretty stupid. I know people with multiple PhDs who've gone bankrupt. And PhDs in business. I know people with multiple PhDs, nothing wrong with PhDs, but I'm just making the point. You can have so many degrees, they call you Dr. Celsius, and still blow up your marriage multiple times. That's stupid. You may be smart, but you're stupid. Wisdom helps you start understanding the meaning of things, not just bald-faced facts. I know a lot of people who get degrees, and they're still asking questions like, who am I? Where did I come from? How should I live? Does my life matter? Have I got a purpose? And is there such a thing after death as life? Was that it? They don't know the answer to that. Why? Because those questions aren't solved by knowledge. The most fundamental questions and the deepest questions in life are resolved by God's wisdom, not human wisdom. And they only come from God. Third, if you want to excel in your education and not lose your faith, you need to steep, and I chose that word particularly, steep yourself in God's word. Steep yourself. You know what that means? My wife is a tea aficionado, and she knows what the word steep means. She starts up at 5.30, 5 a.m. in the morning, and the kettle goes on, and she pops that thing in there, and that tea has to steep before she gets full, pulls a full flavor out of that. That's what you do with a tea bag or tea leaves. You steep them so the flavor can be extracted. And by the way, when I read the Word of God, to get maximum value, I have to read slowly. If I read speed, which is I'm tempted to do, I don't get as much out of that. It's like... If you read fast, it's like flying across a jet and a jet across a country compared to walking. In fact, if you ever walked through your neighborhood and realized, boy, I didn't know that was there. When you drive past in your car, you just... Joshua 1.8 says this, study God's word continually. This is God speaking to us. Meditate. And if you know how to worry, anybody know how to worry in this room? All we do when we worry is we take a negative thought and we repeat over and over and over and over and guess what happens? It gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it dominates us until we can be sometimes physically sick. Huh? Now meditation is, in this case, positive meditation, which is thinking, taking a scripture and chewing it over, over and over and over, like a cow that uh, chews over its cud over and over and you extract the full flavor out of it why do I need to study and meditate God's word because I learn truth I must learn truth in order to discern the lies there's so many lies in this world so many alternate facts I know that when people are treasury officials are trying to spot counterfeit bills there is endless 
types and qualities of counterfeit bills. They don't spend their time studying all the counterfeits. The smart guys spend their time studying the real deal, the original, so they know that intimately. So if something comes that's off, it smells fishy, and they can spot it easily. You learn what's straight, so then you can spot something that's crooked. There's many variations of crooked, but if you know what's straight, anything that's crooked, you'll smell. How do you do that? Can I suggest to you, if you haven't already done it, kick off this year the Foundations course. Talk to Martin about that. Foundations will help you figure out what's dead straight. Psalm 119, verse 104. Your commandments gave, give me great understanding. It's no wonder I can see and hate every false way of life. God's commandments are what's straight. Everything else that deviates from that is false and crooked. So God's word shows us what's true and therefore everything that is opposed to that is false. And God's word tells us what's right. Psalm 119 verse 99 on the screen. I am wise and have more insight than all my teachers because, not because I'm a clever dick, but because I continually meditate on your word. That's where my wisdom comes from. God's word makes us wise. And true wisdom goes beyond amassing knowledge. and It's applying knowledge in a life-changing way. And again, intelligent or even experienced people are not necessarily wise. Wisdom comes from allowing God's teaching to guide us. So Daniel's in the school of indoctrination, learning all kinds of stuff he doesn't believe. Kind of like when you had to take biology at university or wherever it may be, and they're trying to stick it down your throat, that evolution, evolution, evolution. Haven't got time to get into all of that. The expert in that field is Dr. Stephen Meyer. Go look him up if you want to follow that. Darwin's delusion and um, Darwin's doubts. and you, you go check him out, Stephen Meyer. He'll give you a good introduction at very significant levels. But this guy is having to learn all the stuff that he doesn't believe in. That's okay, though. He learns it to pass a test. He's mature enough. He can learn it. He aces the test, graduates with honors. And Daniel is dedicated, he's diligent, he's discerning, and he's disciplined. And no matter what the professors throw at him, he's not anxious, he's not afraid, he's not combative, he's not cowardly either, but neither is he backing off, and he's not doubtful. Why? Because he knows God's word. To spend more time in the Bible, you and I need to do something. We need to spend less time in media. Students, let me just talk for one minute. By the time you're 18 and you're ready to go after uni, you probably watch 30 hours of screen, of screen time. But you haven't even read the Bible through once. There's a problem. Right there. Do you know what it only takes 80 hours? Chris, is, that the next, is there something else on the next slide with the, um, how long it takes? Here's a good example. I just thought, just to make sure we know, how many minutes have you got tomorrow before you go to work? Do you want to read the Bible? Well, let's start off here. We could start off with, let's say you've got seven minutes. You can read the whole book of Titus. Boom. Seven minutes tomorrow. Boom. You haven't even got seven minutes. Well, what could we choose? Here we are. Let's choose Philemon. To read the whole book of Philemon is going to take you three minutes. A wise person is hungry for the truth. 80 hours you can read the whole Bible compared to 30,000 hours of screen time. 
students and, and even adults, you need less face book and more face in the book. Fear is the proof. Don't let the enemy wind you up. Distract you and blindside you. That's bald truth there. You can read the whole book of James in 16 minutes. Proverbs 15, 14, a wise person is hungry for the truth, whilst a fool feeds on trash. What we feed our minds is just as important as what we feed our bodies, and we wouldn't think two seconds of giving our kids rubbish and dodgy. I mean, you, before you even check that food, my wife says, honey, does this smell okay? And go, perfect, right, so we do. But we check. If something's a little bit, mm, we check. We wouldn't think of feeding our bodies trash and dodgy food. What about our minds and false facts? Be discerning in what you feed your mind. If you spend two hours watching a movie, there's a, there's a cost to that. You're saying yes to that, you're saying no to two hours of doing something else. You have to choose. So a strong desire to discover truth is a mark of wisdom. Number four. Fourth, to excel while doing my education, I need to choose believers as my best friends. God wants you to have friends. Oh, don't get me wrong there. Please do not get me wrong. He wants you to have friends that are unbelievers to witness to. That's the reason why. But the people you should be spending the most time with are those who are strong believers. You want to make sure the people who you hang out with most are building you up and not tearing you down. You want to make it through with your faith intact. Daniel and his three friends made it through secular indoctrination because he had wise friends and they had each other. 1 Corinthians 15 underscores this principle. Many times in this church I've mentioned, do not be misled. Misled. Bad company corrupts good character. If you one of us in this room have felt a strong pull of friends doing idiotic things. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Ecclesiastes 10.3 says it very bluntly. Fools show their stupidity by the way they live. It's easy to see they've got no sense. Now in contrast, the Bible, I've got a paraphrase here, encourages this, Psalm 1. You can read your own version, but I'll just pick the paraphrase here. The happiest people on earth, the one who God blesses, don't walk with those who suggest evil advice. They don't stand around with those who like to sin and don't sit around with the cynics who deny God. So when you go to uni, if you want to strengthen your faith, number five, you need to stay connected to a church, a small group, and a ministry. These are essential for input, for output, and because your faith is going to be tested and support. First, you need this church family for support. It says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, somebody there, clear that Paul's getting after, a scallywagon. But let, this, let us encourage one another. Now the reason students lose their faith in college, one another reason, is they stop doing all the things that made them spiritually strong. They stop it. Their habits have changed. Second, you need a small group for peer support. It's kind of like the old story. You all know that. Got a campfire that's burning nicely. You whip one of those coals out, you plonk it by itself, isolate it. In an environment that's not going, in the, you know, hasn't got that same amount of energy and, 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 and heat, 
it'll go down. You need to get that and pop it back in there and boom, it'll be off again. Third, you need to be involved in some ministry of giving back. Not just taking in and absorbing output, not just input. First Peter 2.15, one of the final scriptures coming up there on your outline. It is God's will that you should live such a good life that silences those who foolishly condemn the gospel without knowing what it can do for them. The best antidote, friend, to a skeptic or a critic or attack at school or university or on the job is like I talked about two weeks ago, is to live a life and have a proven track record. Young Daniels and young Daniellas are those who are living a good life of faith and also giving back in ministry. And in this church, we have many of them. Thank you. Number six and the last thing. If you want to accelerate your education and still not lose your faith, remember this, that God will reward me. Question. What is the next event on God's, God's calendar? I mentioned that last week. Anybody remember? It's the rapture. That means when we're going to be with Jesus. Gone. That's the very next thing. Boom. Gone. Unannounced like a thief in the night. Boom. If you knew a thief was coming, you'd be ready for him. Boom. Unexpected. When everybody was giving in marriage and da-da, just going about the daily business, nobody expected it. Jesus repeatedly promises that you will receive great rewards in eternity. For every time that you're harassed or criticized or insulted, I have been at university tackling my computer science lecturers. They're just normal people too. Now, by the way, do it by themselves. Do it offline so you don't embarrass them. Remember, we talked about that last week. Don't do it online. Go and talk to them and challenge some of their thinking. Matthew 5 says this, Blessed are you, blessed, happy, to be envied. That's what that means in the Greek. Blessed, happy, to be envied. Are you when people insult you, when they persecute you, when they falsely read lie about you and say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Not because you've been a jerk, but because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you? So you're in the same category as Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Moses and Elijah. And I mentioned the other week too that Daniel was only one of two men in the entirety of Scripture who God saw the guy was, first of all, he saw he was so trustworthy, he showed him what was going to happen in the end time and also showed him the exact year Christ was going to come and die. Let me show you an encouraging scene from the future. Philippians 2, 9. God has given Jesus the name that is above every other name. So one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord this is a scene taken from the end of history and everybody who's ever lived is going to be kneeling before Jesus Christ billions upon billions upon billions of people this means all of your teachers all of the mockers 
all of the professors, every rock star and every athlete, every celebrity, every politician, and every world leader. Freud and Stalin and Marx, all of them will be on their knees. And every atheist, too proud to admit it now, will eventually admit. So don't worry. God wins in the end because his story is his story. Let's bow. Dear God, we all want to excel in this life, in our education, in our careers, but we do not want to lose our faith. So today we were deciding in advance to stand for you and making up our minds like Daniel not to defile ourselves. Would you help each one of us to remember that reverence for you is an education in itself? You define, God, what's straight and what's crooked. Would you help us never stop learning about you and to, to value knowledge and wisdom that you give and to see and respond from your point of view? Because I know that when I steep myself in your word, and I spend time every day reading the Bible and thinking and meditating about your ways. That you'll guide me and you'll bless me as you promised. God, I want to learn the truth in order to discern the lies that are all around me. Help me to choose believers as my best friends and not to hang out with people who pull me down. Help me stay connected to church, small group. And a ministry for output, input, and support. And when I feel alone in the middle of the battle, help me to remember that even when I am attacked, you are going to reward me for eternity. And that I don't need other people's approval because I am deeply and eternally loved by you. And Jesus Christ, some of you here today, may want to say that I'm not going to wait till that day that it's eventually going to happen. I'm saying today, Jesus Christ, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my boss, my CEO, my manager. You're in control. I want you to call the shots in my life. You to be the chairman of my board. In other words, my Lord. I want to thank you for loving me. And Father, I pray as a result of this message today that you by your spirit would help me love you more with all of my mind in Jesus powerful name I ask this and everybody said Amen